Matthew chapter 6. This morning is the Agony of Victory, part 8, praise the Lord. Our eighth week that the Lord is instructing us about prayer. And today we're going to be talking about an incredible topic, really. It's praying and fasting. And the Lord is wanting to take us deep on this one, church. The Lord is wanting to take us to a new place of intercession and of spiritual insight and power and wisdom. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time as we respond to the word in the coming weeks. But let's ask the Lord to bless our Bible study now. Father, thank you for who you are and the wonderful things that you do. And Lord, we come to you once again, having opened up our Bibles, and we ask that you would open up our hearts and our spirits, and that Holy Spirit of God, you would speak to us. You would instruct us. You would challenge us in the most profound way. And that Spirit of God, you would fill each believer here to overflowing. We need the power of your Spirit to be obedient. We need the power of your Spirit to understand and to respond and to walk in what you're calling us to as a church. And so, Lord, we say yes and amen to the fact that you want to take us deeper, that you're causing us to wade out into deep water, that you want to show us new and exciting and wonderful things. And we just ask, Lord, for the fullness thereof and that not one of us would miss what you have for us individually and corporately this morning. Bless this Bible study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, being now eight weeks into our study on prayer, that's two full months, that's one-sixth of a year. Being that, f- that far into our study of prayer, I, I want to make sure that as a church we take stock now. We stop and we take a moment and we reflect and we make sure that we're not missing this moment in history. That we're not missing out on this move of God. That we're not missing what the Lord is wanting to do in us. Church, I'm going to be very blunt now. There ought to be a distinction in your life from eight weeks ago until this day. There ought to be a difference in your Christianity. There ought to be a newness and a freshness. There ought to be new things happening because the Lord has been calling us to prayer. And He's challenged us wonderfully. And He's beckoned us in. And it's an honor and a joy and a privilege that the Lord is calling our church to this. And the cloud, the pillar has stopped, so to speak. And here we are camped out on this topic for another week. And it would be wrong of us not to take stock. And to, in the depth of our heart, before the Holy Spirit, Say, Lord, has anything changed in my life over these last two months? There ought to have been some changes. There ought to be an increase in your prayer life. There ought to be a new depth and sincerity and compassion for others and for the kingdom of God. There should be a greater nearness in your heart to the Lord. You ought to be more in love with Jesus today than you were two months ago. And church, if that's not the case, then there's something wrong. There's some sort of disconnect. Do you understand you've sat in here for two months and you've missed it if that's the case? Judas had that happen. Walked with the Lord for three years. Missed the whole gig. Church, I'm telling you, I'm telling us in love that there should be some discernible, knowable change in our prayer lives from two months ago. If not, there's a disconnect and it's not too late. The Lord is merciful and the Lord is good. But take stock of your life this week to see where you are. Make sure that you're realizing the value of praying for others and and getting the focus off yourself. As Gail spoke of in her testimony, she said, we were assigned in our home group to pray for others and I just did it. They told me to do it and I just did it. I went home and I prayed and she testified that she came back the next week and she just had this sense of compassion for the people in her home group. You see, God does something in your heart when you get over yourself and you start to pray for others. I was over at my parents' house eating food yesterday. It's the main reason why I go there is just they got good food all the time. My mama's a real good cook. And I was in there eating food, and my dad was in the kitchen. And my dad said to me, son, my life has been changed through the teachings on prayer. He said, I've started praying for other people. I've gotten over myself, and God is doing incredible things in me as I pray for other people. And I said, glory to God, dad. What a wonderful moment to share that with my daddy in the kitchen. But it ought to be in the same in our lives. There ought to be a new sense of interceding for others. And today, church, the Lord is wanting to take us further, deeper, as we talk about fasting. 
deep water here today, talking about the abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. For some of you, this is new material. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that's awesome. We're so glad you're here. Just sit back and trip out. (laughs) If you're a young Christian, this, this will be some brand new stuff, some new challenges. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and you've never really pressed into this thing of fasting. I pray that by the power of the Spirit and the preaching of the, of the Word that your life would change this morning. Let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Jesus says, And whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites. For they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they already have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Now we're going to talk about this passage, but the first thing I want to point out to you is the fact that Jesus did not say to his disciples, if you fast. He said, when you fast. He didn't say if, he said when. And understand that when he spoke, this was during the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is like the kingdom manifesto. It is how God's people are to live in this age. And he declares here emphatically, without mistake, when you fast and not if you fast. That is to say that Christians are expected to fast. It is a part of a vibrant, healthy Christian life, fasting is. Not that it's required. It's not required for salvation. It's not required per se. But it is expected of the Christian. Jesus said, when, not if. Moses fasted, why wouldn't we? King David fasted, why shouldn't we? Elijah fasted, as did Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Daniel, Paul. Jesus fasted. Why wouldn't we? The language of Jesus here is such that it's not even a question. He just assumes that his people, those who are his, those who are in the kingdom of God, will practice fasting. He said so one other time explicitly in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, when he said, To his disciples, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away and then they will fast. Meaning, after his death and resurrection and ascension, while the church is awaiting his return, the bridegroom has been taken away and we're waiting for his return, Jesus said, then they will fast. The church is to be marked by fasting. We all ought to be engaged in abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. But why? Why would we ever want to fast? Why would we want to not eat? What is so valuable about fasting that the Lord expects that we will do it? What benefits can we expect to obtain in our spiritual lives when we fast? Point number one, fasting frees time to give attention to prayer. Fasting frees time to give attention to prayer. Throughout the scripture, we see that usually fasting is connected with prayer, that the two go hand in hand. And so it does here in our text. Earlier in chapter 6, Jesus is talking about prayer. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer in the verses just before verse 16. And right after that, he talks about fasting. So we see that so often in scripture, prayer and fasting are connected And fasting frees time and it frees attention to give to prayer. In the original context, in the ancient culture that the Bible was first delivered to, eating food was a whole different deal. You understand they didn't have microwaves back then. They didn't have fast food. And if they wanted to eat, there was a great deal of work that went into preparing the food. If they wanted to eat some meat, they had to go hunt the animal and then kill the animal. If they wanted to cook that meat, they had to go find the wood and cut the wood and dry the wood and build the fire. And there were no lighters in that day. They had to then make the fire and they had to cook the meat. If they wanted to eat nuts or fruits or grains or vegetables, they had to go gather those things. 
And in these cultures, there were hours, blocks of hours during every day that had to be dedicated to just gathering and preparing and eating food. And so in the ancient culture, when someone said, I'm not going to eat, it immediately freed for them a whole lot of hours to seek the Lord. And that's what fasting is. It's seeking the Lord. And so it freed for them all this time. And during that time, they would pray and fast and seek the face of God. But you see, we're in a little bit of a different culture now. I mean, we've got fast food and microwave food and real quick. And sometimes a meal for us is just a matter of minutes, isn't it? And so when we say, I'm not going to eat, it doesn't free for us a large portion of the day to seek the Lord. It's only moments, really. And so for the church today, if we're going to engage in fasting and prayer, we need to then be purposeful to schedule time when we're fasting to pray to the Lord. You can't go about it haphazardly. It can't be, oh, when I think about it or whenever. We've got to schedule time to fast and to pray and to seek the Lord. We've got to make it happen in our schedules because you know all the stuff you have to do. If you don't schedule it in, it's not going to go down. R.A. Torrey, a great Bible scholar and teacher and author, said about praying and fasting, he said, there is a peculiar power in such prayer. Every great crisis in life and work should be met in that way. He said concerning the marriage of prayer and fasting that there's a peculiar power in it. There's a mystery in fasting. There comes into our life's fresh power when we seek the Lord in this way. And we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll see it develop. But R.A. Tori, who, who was a, a faster, recognized that there's a peculiar power in that sort of prayer. And so in the crises of life, an immediate response of the Christian ought to be, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. I'm going to set aside time to seek the Lord. And it's appropriate that eight weeks into our study on prayer, we're speaking about fasting. Andrew Murray, who has a wonderful testimony concerning prayer, you should read his biography, says, Prayer needs fasting for its full and perfect development. Prayer needs fasting for its full and perfect development. That is, we we can't go as far in prayer as we ought without this spiritual concept of fasting, because fasting frees time, and energy and attention to seek the Lord in prayer. And it's important that we schedule it in. Jesus said when and not if. The second thing I want to point out to us is that fasting expresses earnestness and urgency in our prayers. Usually in the scriptures, fasting is connected with seriousness and sincerity and even desperation. We see in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. See what the Lord is saying here in the book of Joel? He wanted his people to return to him. And so the Lord says, Return to me with all your heart, everything that you are, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. You see how fasting goes along with seriousness and sincerity and even desperation. And he says, Rend your heart, not your garments. In that ancient Jewish culture, tearing your clothes was a sign of great distress. The Lord says, Forget about that outward display. I want to see your heart ripped in sincerity for returning to the Lord. And according to the Bible here, what accompanies urgency and earnestness in this attitude to the Lord of, Lord, I want you and I want it so bad, is fasting. Fasting expresses earnestness and urgency in our prayers. Andrew Murray, once again, another quote, says, We are creatures of the senses. Fasting helps to express, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution." that we are ready to sacrifice anything, to sacrifice ourselves to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. 
You see, fasting expresses before God and man a a seriousness. Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Lord, I want to see your kingdom expanded. I want to see the lost saved. I want to see the captives set free. I want to see the oppressed delivered. I want to see the depressed given joy. I want to see the brokenhearted be given oil of gladness. Lord, I want to see the things of your kingdom come. And when we seek the Lord for these things in fasting, there is a depth and an earnestness. Second Chronicles chapter 20, you guys know the story. King Jehoshaphat was reigning and a confederation of enemy armies was coming against him. A desperate moment. And so what does Jehoshaphat do? Verses 3 and 4, and Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord, and they even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. We see here that in a desperate moment, struggling for their very existence, as several enemy armies were coming around them, in the time of trouble, the king begins to seek the Lord. He gives his attention to the Lord in a desperate moment. And and what is the component? What is the dynamic? How does that work out? Fasting. He declares a fast. And the people gave attention to and sought the Lord and received direction from the Lord through the practice of fasting. Again, it expresses a desperation, earnestness, sincerity. I mean, even if you think about it just in logical terms, the logical conclusion of fasting is, Lord, if you don't do something, if you don't respond, if you don't save, if you don't deliver, then I'll die of starvation. I mean, that's the logical conclusion of it. But be careful now. You don't want to fall into the mindset that somehow by just not eating, you're manipulating God. God, I'm not going to eat, and now you have to do it. I <laughs> gotcha. It doesn't work that way. It's not that we manipulate God when we fast. Listen very carefully. The purpose of our fasting is to move us closer to God and to seek His will for our lives. Fasting does not manipulate or coerce him. Rather, in us, it does a work that moves us closer to God and where we discover his will for our lives. One way that that happens is point number three. Fasting increases a sense of humility and dependence upon God. Fasting increases a sense of humility and dependence upon God. In Isaiah chapter 58, God is talking about what a fast should really be like. The fast of his choosing. And he says in Isaiah 58, 5, the Lord speaking, Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? You see, Israel at the moment was fasting, but they were doing it wrong. They had wrong motives, and it was a ritualistic thing for them. And the Lord said, listen to me. Fasting is a time to humble yourself before me and to bow your head like a reed. Because listen, church, humility is required for seeking the Lord through prayer and fasting. He's an awesome God, and He's a mighty mighty God, and we are just dirt, you understand. And who is the Lord that He would be mindful of us? And so there is required a degree of humility in coming before the Lord and seeking Him through prayer and fasting. I want you to notice what the Lord says in Matthew 6, verse 16 in our text. Once again, as we read it, He says, And whenever you fast, Don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, speaking of the religious leaders. For they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. He's speaking to the religious leaders. And and, and they weren't approaching the Lord humbly. First of all, they weren't approaching the Lord. Their motives motives were they wanted to be seen as spiritual before men. And then there was no humility. They, they wanted to be exalted for their spirituality. And so they would put on a gloomy face and go, Oh, I'm suffering. I'm so hungry. Just weeping and crying and fasting to the Lord. And we know from historical accounts that they would do that in the marketplace on Mondays and Thursdays, the busiest days of the week in that culture in Jerusalem. And the Lord said, Don't be like those. They're hypocrites. They have their reward in full when someone says, oh, you're so spiritual. But there was no degree of humility in them. 
There needs to be a humility that, that puts off the opinions and the concerns and the busyness of man and says, God of all the universe, I want to come before you in truth and sincerity. It cannot be a ritualistic or merely a religious thing. It's got to be based on a sincerity of relationship. And it can't be outward. It's got to be inward. Turn now to Isaiah chapter 58. Keep your finger in Matthew because we'll be right back. But Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, I gave you the context earlier. God's people have been fasting. They were looking for some stuff, but they went about it wrong, with wrong motives and with a wrong heart and with a lack of sincerity. And so the Lord addresses them, and we're going to pick it up in verse 3 of Isaiah 58, where they're crying out to the Lord because they haven't seen the results that they wanted. Isaiah 58, starting in verse 3. The people say, why have we fasted and you don't see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you don't notice? And the Lord responds and says, behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and you drive hard all your workers. Verse 4, behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. You see, apparently, they were fasting for some reason of contention. They were fasting to prove a point, to make a point, to get a one-up on somebody, not to seek the Lord and His mercy and His plan and His purpose and His righteousness amongst them. And we're told in James chapter 1 that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And we see that they fasted for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. They figure God's on our side. If we just don't eat food, God is going to do this for us. And ha-ha to those guys. But the Lord said, your heart is all wrong. Your heart hasn't changed. He said at the end of verse 3, that when you fast, you find your desire. In other words, you haven't put aside anything or truly humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God to seek me. You're still doing the things that you desire. You're going out and dirt biking and surfing and going to the movies and renting videos and partying and this and that. There's no sincerity of seeking. And you drive all your workers hard. You say, oh, I'm this holy man fasting. But you go and your employees, you're beating them over the back. The Lord says, that's, that's not the heart of a person who is sincerely seeking me. It's one of humility. And humility before the Lord will always manifest itself as humility before men. You understand that? And, and his gentleness and kindness before men. And so the Lord is rebuking them here. And he's saying, you're not fasting today in a way that your voice is going to be heard on high. And then he instructs them in fasting on verse 5. He says, Is it a fast like this which I choose? And what does the Lord choose? A day for a man to humble himself. It is for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes, ashes as a bed. That's a sign of mourning before the Lord. Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Now look what he says in verse 6. Is this not the fast which I choose? to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, that's the heavy weight upon people, and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house and when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? The Lord says, you're fasting for selfish motives to get your will and your agenda accomplished. The Lord says, you ought to be fasting on behalf of others to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to see the oppressed go free, and to see the hungry fed and the naked clothed. You see, what the Lord wanted to develop in them and what the Lord wants to develop in us is a heart of compassion where we open our eyes and we look in our community and we say, there are kids in this community who are in bondage. There are adults in this community who are oppressed. There are bonds of wickedness on this coastline. And the Lord is saying, will you fast for that? Will you fast to see the captives set free? Will you fast for my purpose because God's heart is for the widow and the orphan. God's heart is for the hungry and for the naked and for the downtrodden. Jesus said, I came that the captives might have freedom. 
And so when we fast, it's got to be unto and for the Lord and for His purposes, for His plan, for His kingdom, for His glory, to manifest His hearts. And there is described here the truth that through fasting, people are set free when we press in in prayer. Now, what an apropos message for us today. As we're just weeks away from Easter, and every single one of you who is born again has individuals upon your heart that you want to see saved this Easter. And do you desire it enough to fast for them? To fast and pray, to set aside time, to schedule, to say, I so want this person to come into the kingdom of God that I'm going to cry out to the Lord in sincerity, in humility, and I'm going to put aside feeding the flesh to nurture the spiritual man and seek God's spirit in this situation. God asked His people in Zechariah 7.5, He said, when you've been fasting the fifth and seventh months of these last 70 years, Was it actually for me that you fasted? Was it for God's purpose, God's plan, God's will, God's kingdom be done? Back in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus continues on and says in verse 17, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Anointing head was what they did in in, in that culture to make their hair nice. They'd put oil in it. Nowadays we think oil, ooh, greasy head, wash your head. But in those days when you anointed your head and you washed your face, it meant everything was cool. He's saying don't put on this sad, solemn, false display of spirituality. It says in verse 18, So that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. You see, fasting is to be unto and for the Lord. You don't want to fall into a legalist trip and nobody could ever know if you're fasting. That's not what the Lord is saying here. Don't be silly. It just means we don't put on some religious display. There's no falsehood. There is sincerity and humility and it is for and unto the Lord. And the promise that Jesus gave us is that when we do it with that attitude, there is a reward. He said, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. What? What what reward can we expect in fasting? Well, the immediate reward that we can expect is that we might be able to draw nearer to the Lord. Because again, it is the idea of humbling oneself. And from beginning to end, the Bible says that God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Do you understand that? And and there is this mysterious dynamic effect in in fasting where we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in humility, we draw near to him because God dwells in a high and lofty place, we're told in Isaiah 57. But he is near to the lowly and the contrite and the broken of hearts. And so in humility, we receive grace. And grace is what we need in our lives and in the lives around us. Grace from God is what we need in difficult times. Remember Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, is there a need in your life? Is there a need in the lives around you? What we need is God's grace to invade the situation. And prayer and fasting is a conduit through which God's grace flows. And somehow, when we refrain from food and we become hungry and physically weak, It reminds us of our dependence and our need for the Lord. I mean, you know how you get. You you missed your coffee break. You didn't get your Starbucks at 3 p.m. You didn't get it at 7 a.m. You didn't get lunch. You were too busy and you missed it and you just start to go nuts. I need it. I'm weak. I need my caffeine. I need my food. And when you begin to go without those things, very practically speaking now, It reminds us of our dependence upon the Lord. And in the weakness of our body, our spirit begins to feast on Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. But as long as you're fat and satiated, and you filled yourself with the food of the world, and you think you have no need, and you have all strength, then you just miss who the Lord wants to be in your life. But He sees to it that when we cause weakness to happen in the flesh through fasting that we begin to feast in the Spirit on Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. And that brings us to the next point. Point number four, 
Fasting disciplines our flesh through denial and strengthens our spirit through nourishment. Fasting disciplines our flesh through denial and strengthens our spirit through nourishment. Turn to Galatians 5, if you would. We we will not be back to Matthew. Go ahead and go to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're looking at verses 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16, 17, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. We see here communicated that there is a battle that takes place in the realm of our decision making between our sinful nature and the Spirit of God. As one translation puts it, and your choices are never free from this conflict. You see, when we become children of God, when we're born again, when we're saved, we're given a brand new nature. And it is to this nature that God communicates by His Spirit. And it is our reborn spirit that communicates with the Spirit of God. And yet, until we go to be with the Lord, we still have to deal with this old sinful flesh. And there's a conflict between the flesh and the Spirit, the Bible says here. And it's in the realm of decision-making. And we know what the Spirit of God wants us to do. And we know what we want to do as a spiritual man or woman who's been born again and all things have been made brand new. But then that old flesh rears its head. And the flesh is, oh, but I want to do. And I've got this desire and this want. And there's this battle and this back and forth that goes on and this struggle. And guess who loses too often? is the Spirit. Why is that? Because people, we just pamper our flesh, don't we? I mean, we just do everything we can to make sure our flesh is happy. Right? When it's hungry, we feed it. When it's thirsty, we give it something to drink. When it's cold, we cover it up. When it's too hot, we cool it down. When it's not looking good, we put some paint on it. We do all kinds of stuff. To nurture and nourish our flesh all the time. Think about it in your own life. Whatever your flesh wants, it gets. Roll down the window, I'm hot. Roll up the window, I'm cold. Give me this, give me that. Rub the lotion here. Can you rub this muscle right here? And you know what happens? Through that, we train our flesh that it gets whatever it wants, whenever it wants it. And so when there comes a conflict between the flesh and the spirit, well, the spirit is emaciated. The spirit is anemic because though we pamper and feed our flesh every day, we can go days or weeks without feeding the spirit. And so when there comes a battle, guess who loses too often? The spirit. And instead of doing what we know the Spirit of God would have us do, instead of doing the right thing, we fall into the deeds of the flesh because we have trained our flesh to believe that it gets what it wants when it wants it. And the spiritual side is weak and feeble. So perhaps for some of you, you've found yourselves in the place of just too often carrying out the deeds of the flesh. Too often failing to walk according to the Spirit and doing the things that the sinful nature would have you do. Those things are alliterated for us here in verses 19 through 21. I'm going to read it to you here from the New Living Translation. It communicates it well. It says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results. Okay, When we give into the flesh, then we'll do the deeds of the flesh. And here's what they are. Here's a list. Sexual immorality impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group, 
envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Now, according to the Bible, these are the deeds of the flesh that are contrary to the Spirit of God. And if you find yourself being caught up in any one of these things, it's time to deny the flesh. To begin to discipline and to train the flesh to say, you don't get what you want. And to begin to nurture and nourish and build the spiritual man or woman. I found myself this week, I'm just going to confess my sin before you. I found myself this week just getting caught up in jealousy and bitterness. Just angry at at some people and some situations. And and beginning to think that I and those around me, we've got to be right and they're for sure wrong. And we do everything right and they do it wrong. And there was still this jealousy and this anger welling up in me. Now according to the Bible, those are the deeds of the flesh. And I want you to see how treacherous those are. They're nestled in this text right between drunkenness and participation in demonic activities. I mean, it talks about sexual immorality, impure thoughts, lustful pleasure, idolatry, demonic activities, and then it lists quarreling, jealousy, conflict, thinking that you're the only one who's right. There's no distinction between those before God. They're right there with drunkenness and demonic activity. And so I knew, man, I got to fast. My flesh is getting out of control here. I mean, it was consuming me. And so I spent some time this week in prayer and fasting, seeking the Lord. And through that, I I put the flesh back in check. He said, that's what fasting does. It it puts the flesh in check. You say, you know what? You don't get what you want anymore. I'm going to walk according to the Spirit. I'm going to strengthen the spiritual man that that my spirit might follow the Spirit of God, that I would walk according to the Spirit and no longer carry out these deeds of the flesh. And church, I would just suggest to you and I, That our flesh needs a little more discipline. Our flesh needs a little more training. And the spiritual man or woman needs some nourishment, some life, some attention. And that's what we do when we fast. And we're told in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. That therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, let us arm ourselves with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And fasting is one way that we arm ourselves with this purpose of suffering in the flesh. The Old Testament speaks about fasting as being a form of affliction. It's not asceticism, so to speak, and it's not self-abasement. But it's where we, we let the flesh suffer and be put off that we would no longer walk according to the lusts of it, but according to the will of God. Fasting accomplishes that. Paul was so serious about this concept. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, But only one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Listen to what the Word of God is saying. It's talking about our walk with the Lord. It's saying don't walk through this life haphazardly with Christ. Run in such a way that you might win. It's talking about our spiritual lives. It says if you're going to enter a race, you might as well run so as to win. And so it should be in our spiritual lives. That there ought to be the sense of in the right way, striving, laboring, working, following hard after God. Not that we're laboring according to the flesh, but by His grace and His power. But following hard after the Lord. Not haphazardly, oh, the Lord is good, and say la vie, and whatever happens, hakuna matata. That's for cartoons. This is real life. And the directive of Scripture is that we'd follow hard after the Lord and we would run this race so as to win. He goes on to write, And everyone who competes in the games, he's speaking of the ancient Olympic games, exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we do it for an imperishable one, a crown of glory that we'll receive when we see the Lord. So how much more should we exercise self-control, the apostles teaching us? He finishes by saying, Therefore... I run in such a way as not without aim. And I box in such a way as not beating the air. He uses the analogy of boxing. 
And he says, I'm engaged in a race for the Lord. I'm fixing my eyes on the author and the perfecter of my faith. I'm following hard after Jesus. And I'm engaged in a spiritual battle. And I'm not going about it haphazardly. I'm not boxing so as to hit the air. But the Apostle Paul says, I have conscious, cognizant, directed, purposeful jabs in his spiritual life. And he finishes by saying, but I buffet my body and make it my slave. Lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see, the problem is in so many times in Christianity is that we become a slave to our bodies. We become a slave to our sensual desires and to the lusts of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. And what Paul the Apostle says, what the Word of God says, is that we need to buffet our bodies and make it our slaves, not that we would be ruled by the lust of the flesh, but that we would walk according to the Spirit. And fasting accomplishes this in a way that nothing else will. Because when we fast, we set aside time and attention to pray and seek the Lord. And when we do that, it brings us to this place of humility and dependence upon God. And in that, the spiritual man is nurtured and that fleshly nature is put off. And it brings us to point five. Fasting heightens spiritual and mental alertness. Fasting heightens our degree of spiritual sensitivity. We're more plugged into the spiritual realm. More readily able to hear the voice of God and discern the leadings of the Lord when we're in this place of fasting because we've put off the noise of our flesh and our sinful nature. We've built up the spiritual man. We're cultivating time in the presence of God. And now there's just a heightened sense of, of, of spiritual awareness. In the book of Ezra, Ezra writes in chapter 8, verse 21, 23, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us and for our children and all our possessions. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. You see, it was a dangerous situation. He needed leading. He needed guidance for the people. And so how did he do that? He did that through fasting. He proclaimed a fast, and through fasting, the people sought the Lord. They drew near to the Lord. They were able to discern the Lord's leading, and they were brought into a place of blessing and protection. And so it's been in my life. That's my testimony, is that whenever I come to a critical juncture, and and I just need to hear from God, I shared with you this last week, so many times what makes the difference is, is fasting. Because it, it puts aside time to pray, to speak to the Lord and to listen. Puts me in a place of humility where I can receive grace. The spiritual man is built up and, and there is an awareness of the Lord and his presence and his speaking that increases in our lives. And we hear from him in a way we've never heard. And if you've never been there, it just can't be explained to you. I mean, I, I just can't put words to it. I'm not trying to lord anything over you. I'm telling you that the Lord has wonderful intimacy for you through fasting. He's got an increased awareness of his presence and his power in your life that he wants to give to you. And the prescription, how we get there, is through fasting. Jesus said, when you fast and not if, because he wants you to have everything he has for you. And the last point, point six, is this. Fasting increases one's spiritual strength power, and effectiveness. Do you remember in Mark chapter 9 in the parallel account, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he comes down and there was a man who had the demonized son and he brought his demonized son to the disciples and said, cast the demon out. The disciples had done it before. In Mark chapter 3 verse 14, the Lord had called them that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and that they might have authority over unclean spirits. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he sent them out and gave them authority over the demonic realm. And they went out and they cast out demons and they came back rejoicing. But now in Mark 9, parallel account, Matthew chapter 17, there is a tremendous spiritual need. My son is demonized. He's a lunatic, it says in one translation. And the disciples are called upon to help and they are powerless. 
they're not able to help the kid. And thankfully, the Lord comes along and with the word casts out the demon. And later on, the disciples say, Lord, what went wrong? Why were we ineffective? Why was there a lack of power and spiritual strength when we needed it? The Lord said to them two things. He said, because of the littleness of your faith and because this kind, Matthew 17, 21, this demonic stronghold, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. What does that mean? That means that when we practice prayer and fasting, as the Lord said we should, when you pray and when you fast, there is the promise of an increased level of spiritual power and strength and effectiveness. And church, we need it. There's men and women on our coastline that do not know the Lord. There's men on our coastline who are caught up in pornography and it's destroying their lives and their marriages and their children and their families and our coastlines and our community. There's marriages that are falling apart. There's people that are oppressed and demonized. There's kids that are caught up in all sorts of things and giving themselves away and they're broken heart and there's bonds of wickedness. And church, we need to be effective We cannot sit by and say, c'est la vie. Well, this is how it is. We need to be effective. And the Lord has given us a prescription. When you fast, he said. When we set aside the time and we discipline and deny the flesh and nurture and grow the spirit, There's an increased sensitivity to what the Lord wants to do. We hear from Him. We're guided in action and in prayer. There is an effectiveness that comes to our lives and our ministry. Don't we need that? So when then would be an appropriate occasion to fast? When should I fast, you ask? Well, there's lots of occasions given in Scripture, but here's just ten of them that we could think about. David fasted when he was interceding and praying for others and for himself, both praying for his friends and for his enemies. David fasted when his son was deathly ill. Elijah fasted when he needed to hear from the Lord. Esther and all the Jews fasted before entering into a dangerous situation. King Jehoshaphat fasted at the time of the invasion of the confederated armies of the Canaanites and the Syrians. Nehemiah fasted when he heard of the poor spiritual and physical condition of Jerusalem and its inhabitants. Ezra fasted on account of the idolatrous marriages of the Jews. Daniel fasted on account of the captivity of the people and prayed for their deliverance. The Ninevites fasted when Jonah preached to them. And Jesus fasted before he began his public ministry. Now, these are just a few examples, but do you see how practical these things are? I mean, this is not some lofty, esoteric, ethereal, heady concept. This is practical Christian living to meet practical daily needs. Praying for others and for ourselves. Praying when somebody falls deathly ill. When we need to hear from the Lord before a dangerous situation. When we're confronted by the enemy. When our city and people are in poor spiritual condition. When gross sin is abounding. When our people are in captivity to the enemy. And before we do the Lord's work, the prescription is to fast. And to pray. And to seek the Lord. And to experience the intimacy and the power that flows through. This very practical spiritual dynamic that is to be a part of every vibrant Christian life. Do you see how practical it is? Do you see how needed it is? Who among us doesn't need to fast? And when we realize those benefits, extra time to pray and seek the Lord, cultivating humility and dependence upon Him, denying the flesh and feeding the Spirit, heightened spiritual alertness, increased spiritual strength, power, and effectiveness. Who, who wouldn't fast in light of those promises? I mean, it's amazing to me that we don't do this more. It's so good. It's so right. It's so necessary. It's like reading our Bible. We read our Bible and we go, this is awesome. Why don't I do this more? It's like praying. Oh, it's so good to pray and to come before the Lord. Why don't I do it more? That's how fasting is. If you've never done it, please, I'm begging you. Here's your homework assignment. Take some time and fast this week. Now, ask the Lord to give you a burden. 
Ask the Lord to give you a burden. Because I believe that in our community, the Lord wants to loosen the bonds of wickedness. He wants to remove the yoke of slavery people from people. Say, God, burden me with something. And then lead me to fast and pray for it. It's got to be the fasting of God's choosing. It's got to be his leading. But just say, Lord, will you give me a burden? And are you calling me to fast for this? To pray and to press in in that way? Some of you need to be mindful of health precautions. You may be diabetic or have some other condition. You should consult a physician, possibly before fasting. But you know, it doesn't have to be a a huge deal. You can start by fasting a single meal. I challenge you to just fast one meal and take that time and pray for somebody else. Just one meal. Just say, Lord, I'm going to set aside this time to seek you. I challenge you to do that. Maybe some of you more adventurous, maybe you want to do a whole day. Just take a whole day. And I know you still might have to go to work or something like that. If you could take a whole day and just fast and seek the Lord and be alone with him, awesome. But if you have to work or go to school, make sure that on your breaks you get with the Lord and you seek him and you ask him to speak to you and you press into him. Uh, You can do a full fast, which in the Bible is abstaining from food and drink. Super gnarly. (laughs) Or a partial fast, which is just abstaining from food. Or you can even do a Daniel fast, what's called a Daniel fast. He just abstained from like the super good food. He didn't eat the meat and the cookies and the cake and the pie and the ice cream. You know, he only ate the vegetables. But that's a legitimate biblical fast that you would put aside certain things and just take the bare necessities and then schedule time to seek to the Lord. But, but church, wouldn't you agree that we need to? Lord, thank you for the challenge and the call and the blessing and the honor and the glory that you've called us to today. Lord, I just ask that not a single one of us would miss this moment in history. I believe, Lord, that you're calling us to deeper water. You've revealed to us today wonderful things about this gift of fasting. Lord, lead us in this. We want to walk according to the Spirit. We want to see the captives set free. We want to see the bonds of wickedness loosed and the yoke, the heaviness of slavery removed from men and women and boys and girls on our coastline. So teach us, Lord, to pray and fast. We don't understand it all, but we want to follow you in obedience. Instruct us in these things, Lord, in Jesus' name.